Hello, Jonathan. It's great to be with you. It's great to be with you too, Seth. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 7 being the highest, how would you rate your level of excitement right now? 11. 11? That makes sense, given the question. What's your level of excitement? Oh. I mean, if 7's the highest, I guess I'd have to go with a 14. 8. Oh, okay. Yeah, obviously. It loops around. Yeah. Obviously. It loops around. I get it. I get it. That makes sense. This is this is like in, when you graph things in like 3D. Right. Yeah. Just like we're just around. we're just clearly okay. operating on a higher plane than other people. Or at least a different plane. Yeah, I think that's more accurate. With that, here's a question for us and for everyone else on the same plane with us. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to be very famous in your hometown or be famous all around the world? But like if people in your hometown just like whatever, that's that's JD. Man, this is hard. So I grew up in a real small town. When, until I was about 12 years old town of no more than like 500 people and so just kind of being there kind of made you famous in town but I think I would say worldwide only because I think the things that make you famous in your hometown are usually not that great you know if you're just famous in your hometown in your hometown I feel like it's because you were caught peeing in the river or something really embarrassing like that. <laughs> that you just don't want to be famous for. I mean, it's not like people who are famous worldwide are always famous for good things. But I just feel like I like my odds in that situation a little better. <laughs> <laughs> I respect that. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with worldwide famous. This is not a very good reason, but I feel like you could get like a lot of free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's part of the reason you want. I want to become an Instagram influencer is just to get free stuff to try. Yeah, I keep trying to get Marshall to be one because I want to get free pet stuff, but we're not posting enough pictures, or they're not good enough. I don't know, but like I want, I kind of need a new leash. So I'm like, there's like somebody should send us one. But if you're famous in your hometown with this idea we've been talking about. I feel like you, you don't get that much free stuff. Like maybe like a beer like, or a sandwich at the local local yeah. restaurant. You go to the hardware store and they're like, "Yeah, you can have a couple a couple small screws and you know for your home project." <laughs> I'm just thinking about the guy from Parks and Rec who was like famous for dunking the basketball, you know, 30 years ago. Oh yeah. And I feel like that's another reason. It's like it's so limiting when you've done the one thing that makes you famous, whether it's dunking a basketball or peeing in the river. Like that's your thing. You become that guy, and you're so limited by that. Worldwide fame, I don't think is like all rainbows and unicorns, but I think it has again at least the possibility of more good stuff. <laughs> let's try and let's try and save this episode. Let's do the reading. All right. This is Luke chapter 4, verses 21 through 30 from the NRSV. Then he, being Jesus, began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you'll say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we've heard you did at Capernaum. He said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Yeah, Jesus is so sneaky at the end. <laughs> but is there anything besides that that stuck out to besides you? Besides sneaky Jesus? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the first thing that came to mind was the quote from the legendary Ron Burgundy, well... That escalated quickly. Just, you know, they were amazed at the gracious words coming out of his mouth. And a few sentences later, they were literally trying to push him off a cliff. And it just, I don't know, it's so striking to me that that shift. I'm curious to talk more about what, what got them to that point. What did Jesus say that was so offensive to them? Yeah, I think that's a great observation. Right before this. We have Jesus kind of, he reads from Isaiah, and then he makes this announcement about himself. That's the very first line of our reading today. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I think sometimes I read this passage and think, oh, that's what they're upset about. Mm. Like he uses the Isaiah text and applies it to himself. But just like you were saying... I don't I don't think that's true because right after that everybody's still speaking well of him and they're amazed. So there's something after that in my reading at least. And I think we'll we'll get to this. I think that's a, that's a key point of this passage that makes the crowd just flip. Yeah. Well, don't leave me hanging, Seth. Tell me, what do you think that key moment is here? When they tell Jesus they want him to do these miracles, in his hometown. And he basically says, no, 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 I'm not going to do them here. I'm going to, I'm going to go out. My, my mission is much wider, much broader than this. That, that seems to be what upsets them. Yeah. And he tells this, this story about Elijah who, who kind of leaves to go to Zarephath in Sidon and Elisha who cleans Naaman, the Syrian, He uses these prophets to talk about missions kind of outside of Israel, outside of of their communities. And that's when when the people just turn. When they heard all this, the synagogue's filled with rage. It's really fascinating to me. It's like, hey, we're not going to get any of the goods. And we don't like that. The image that comes to mind is like the kind of the glomming on that churches that have... The people in churches where the the age is predominantly older, when a young person walks in, it's like, 
oh, you'll do so many good things for us here. But how quickly that can turn when they you know, start talking about all the young people don't want anything to do with our church anymore. It's like, the, you know, when, <laughs> when the gifts are being used in an insular way, when the person from your hometown is working to make your hometown better, that's celebrated. That is powerful. People are getting behind it. But as soon as people who have real need see something that could be used for their benefit, used for someone else, especially widows, especially Syrians, especially people who aren't their people, begin to get a little more skeptical to the point of cliff murder. Yes, to the point of cliff murder. But I think what you're saying is dead on. That it's when people see that they could benefit, but they're not. It brings out, brings out some jealousy in them. This text comes about halfway between Christmas and the beginning of Lent. And for me, it raises an important question about what I expect and what I expected at Christmas and whether or not that really changed me and what I expect to happen in Lent and whether that's that's going to change me too. I think when, I, when I've been thinking about this passage, that's why I see the crowd being so upset. Is they think that Jesus can come to them and change them, heal them, help them too. But it's not happening. It doesn't seem to be in their community. It's all happening outside in Capernaum. Yeah. It's apparently it apparently happened in Sidon and to name in the Syrian. I feel a little bit like the crowd. Mm. Had this amazing like epiphany. Christmas had come. And I'm like, hey, I feel pretty much the same if I'm honest. Yeah. And a little I feel a little maybe even disappointed by that. Well it sounded like maybe you resonated with some of that. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking about the scripture that from Isaiah that Jesus quotes just before this, right? And I think for the crowd, good news for the poor, freedom for the captives, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. Mm-hmm. That all sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And I agree. And honestly, I'm like, I don't blame them. And I, I too kind of am reading this with the crowd trying to understand what would make us turn. And I could see that for ourselves today in the church too. As we encounter Christ's message of, and promise of liberation, we're like, yes, I want that. But we forget that oftentimes, and I know at least in my circumstances, I'm very rarely actually in community and in relationship with the poor, with the captives, with those who need healing. And it's almost like the frustration we feel whenever we recognize or are reminded that God's good news isn't just for us. It draws us beyond ourselves because it is for all, especially those who, as we you know, cited from Howard Thurman a few weeks ago, it's especially for those who have their backs up against the wall. But I'm busy throwing a Veruca Salt level temper tantrum, but I want it now. 
I want it for me. I want it to be mine. And that feels a little bit what the crowd's doing. Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel. Mm. I think that's why this story is so helpful. Like, it's a helpful corrective for me. Like, hey, like, look at the, look at what I'm doing out here, too. You're too busy navel gazing again. Like, thinking about yourself. Thinking about what's going to happen in your singular community. That you can't even see what's happening all around you. You won't, you won't walk outside down the road. And see what's happening there. I feel like we're on the edge of what's the point. I don't know yeah, if I'm getting... So I don't too. want to get ahead of you, but it feels like we're there. No, I think we're there. My question for us this week is how we start seeing what God is doing outside of us. And our particular little, sometimes insular communities. To see what God's doing down the street. Across town. Across the state, the country, the world. Like in what way can we can we kind of get beyond ourselves? Because I think if we don't, we end up like the crowd. Like we get all worked up in, in rage. When Jesus is saying, hey, it's, it's not been about you from the beginning. No prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. Yeah, I mean... You know, it, it is important to be willing to look inward, right? And assess where we are, both individually and especially in communities. And because I can see how the reminder that, you know, our, our, our mission needs to be at the forefront, that kind of language has been used to justify all sorts of terrible behavior by the church and people in power and people with leadership responsibilities. But all that aside... I think it is important for us to remember that our call to, as we kind of hinted at last week, to continue the incarnation of Christ, to continue the work of making Christ's work real and tangible in the world, that's to do the work of releasing the captives, liberating the poor, healing the sick, being with and among and for those who have been pushed to the margins and to the edge. We are called to be with Jesus in that because so often we just think that Jesus is called to be with us. <laughs> yeah, somehow Emmanuel, God with us, becomes God with you. We could become singular, I think. Mm. Well, that's the transition of the season, though, right? We, we've just so rightly and beautifully celebrated God coming to be with us out of abundant love, arriving as Emmanuel. But God doesn't stay in the manger. The life and ministry of Jesus draws beyond what we know, what is comfortable. And we see in this passage kind of the early stages of that. Jesus' first moment in public is really this reminder to those who are gathered in the synagogue, look beyond yourselves I know you think healing is for you here, but it is for all there, not just here, maybe not even here. <laughs> that is challenging. And again, I, I think as we ha go through this, I'm having more and more empathy for the crowd <laughs> in this passage. Yeah, me too. I'm like, oh yeah, like that, that could sting to hear that. 
to hear, oh, you know, I will do all this healing for for others. And you just think, wait, what a, what about us too? And I think the challenge is both to to embrace the pain that we feel when we wanted some healing, some helping, and it didn't come to us. And also to rejoice with others who we know receive that healing, that helping, that sheer joy that God's grace can bring. The challenge is to do both. That we can we can be a little jealous, I think. Mm. But I don't think we can let it dominate us, at least not to the point where we want to get Christ out of our town altogether, push him away, try and get him off the cliff. That's a pretty positive portrayal of jealousy. Right. <laughs> but I think it's important to remember that like, if we don't confront that behavior, it can easily escalate. And there's always, I think, cliched yeah. stories about and kind of reminiscent of the passage in James about how you welcome the stranger, especially the stranger who maybe doesn't dress the way you think they should or doesn't smell the way that you think they should or doesn't speak the way you think they should and how that is truly thinking about how we would welcome Jesus in our midst. But it's important, again, to recognize that if we do not confront this behavior, if we continue to be so insular, so inward focus, what's the... The translation of the Augustinian phrase, the uh, looking curved in upon oneself. Is that right? Yep. Yep. If we incurvatus in se. That's right. Yeah, curved in on oneself. That's right. It wouldn't be a a podcast if we weren't looking at some obscure Latin phrase from church history. (laughs) True. But if we don't confront that attitude and behavior... We are doomed to die, or apparently doomed to kill the work of the Spirit in our midst. And I honestly don't know which of those options, if they are actually mutually exclusive, which one would be more devastating. Me neither. The only thing that gives me a little bit of hope is that even when they try to push Jesus out of town, they lead him up to the brow of the hill that, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. Somehow he escapes miraculously. At least we're not told how. He's too sneaky. Sneaky, sneaky Jesus. That somehow even when we're, we're focused on ourselves and our community, we're ready to just push Jesus out. Somehow he's, he's still still working we can never push him out completely he's still working with and on and in us and also with and on and in people outside of us that we would never expect or want Jesus to work on that's just who God is God just keeps keeps taking what we think is is our community 
and broadening it. God keeps taking our horizons and expanding them, putting more people in our line of sight, creating what we just talked about last week as the beloved community that incorporates more and more people who are different than us. Just like you were saying, who smell weird, dress strange, but God's working in, with, through them too. Even when we don't want to see it. That feels like the spot to end. I think so too. Will you pray with me? I'd love that. Almighty and ever-living God, increase our faith so that we see others as part of your beloved community. Help us not to covet your love. And help us to see how you're working through others that we haven't met yet or may not meet until your kingdom comes in its fullness. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And thanks, Seth, for joining me virtually in this room for all these episodes. I look forward to making many more in a new space by the next time we're recording. Because of my transition, we're actually going to share some of our favorite episodes over the next few weeks. But until then, I just want to say thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. Before we sign off, I wanted to pray for Jonathan's office. This is the final recording there before he moves. Maybe you could tell it's empty from the slight echo. Over 85 episodes we've connected in this space. It's as much a part of the podcast as we are. So here we go. God, whose spirit poured over the disciples in the upper room, Bless this space for the next inhabitant. Let it be as comfortable for them as it has been for us. Help it be a place of transformation and renewal. God, whose feet were dirty from walking, accompany Jonathan on his move. Ease his fears. Make a place for him to connect with you, to laugh and to pray. Help him be productive in this new space so he may participate in your mission by proclaiming good news to the captives, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. God, whose love cannot be contained, let this room be a starting place for love that flows onto the surrounding campus and your wider world. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.